The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. I'd like us to go to chapter number 15, and we're going to continue here the message from this morning. If you would like a message insert, we do have uh, some in the back. You'd say, Pastor, I don't have that. Can I have one? Just raise your hand. Our usher will get one to you. These are the notes from this morning, and uh, it'll help you as far as filling in uh, some of the notes that you'll be taking here tonight uh, in the service. First Samuel chapter number 15, and we're uh, today uh, entitling the Sunday, Vote Your Values Sunday. We've got a primary coming up here in June here in California. And uh, I believe with all my heart that Christians need to be active and engaged. I think we need to be informed Uh, I believe that it would please the Lord for us to uh, do what we can in uh, praying and also being aware of the kind of leader that God would want. And and I know we have to go to the Word of God and let the Word of God filter uh, our thought process, but that's a part of our growing as a Christian. So we've entitled this Unworthy of Their Office. It's a a little study today that we began this morning looking at King Saul. And Saul, of course, was the first king of Israel. Uh, Here in 1 Samuel, we've seen uh, several areas where Saul was really unworthy of the office of being the leader over God's people. Uh, We looked at four areas this morning. Number one, we saw uh, an unworthy politician will take credit for the accomplishments of others. And so there was an issue of pride in Saul's life. And we know the story. Jonathan won the battle, and yet King Saul blew the trumpet. And he let all of Israel know that King Saul won the victory. Well, it wasn't King Saul at all. It was Jonathan, his son, but we see an unworthy politician is one that's going to take credit for the accomplishment of someone else. We saw secondly this morning, an unworthy politician will blame others for their own personal failures. Here there was an opportunity because of this great victory for them to honor God, worship God, Samuel had delayed his coming, and so King Saul takes it upon himself to offer up a sacrifice to God. Well, let me tell you something. That was not Saul's role. He was the king. He was not the priest. And he had no business whatsoever uh, fulfilling that role. And so uh, when Samuel approached him and spoke to him about it, he, he, he just blamed someone else. He blamed the people. They're going to scatter if I didn't do something. He, he blamed the prophet. He said, you, you didn't show up in time. And uh, it's easy for us to uh, recognize that in Saul, these are qualities that are unbecoming for a leader of the people of God. We saw this morning, number three, the unworthy politician will make senseless laws that hinder rather than help people. This comes from chapter 14. Of course, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they uh, get into a scuffle with the Philistines. Uh, They have a great victory. God is pleased. The ground shakes, and all of a sudden the Philistines are fighting each other, and they're on the run. And so what does King Saul do? He says, let's all fast until the sun goes down. Well, 
one thing to tell your soldiers that are in the heat of battle to fast all day. It's another thing to put capital punishment on top of those that would violate that rule and that law. And he did. And uh, the one that violated that law was his own son, Jonathan. He took uh, honey off of a rod and he put it on his lips and he was revived in the battle. And the whole discourse here really speaks to the issue of wisdom. Wisdom. Saul lacked just uh, this wisdom in making sensible laws. And I'm so glad that the people came to the aid of Jonathan. Saul was stubborn. He was arrogant. He troubled the nation. Jonathan was the truth teller. And we saw that Jonathan was about to have his life snuffed out. And yet the people of Israel stepped forward and said, Don't you touch a hair on that young boy's head. And Saul had to back down. Listen, by the way, that's, the, the, <laughs> that's another quality here of a politician, right? You get a little pressure and all of a sudden you back away. And, uh, and it tells you there's very little principle here in Saul. He's just doing what he's doing to please the people. He's a people pleaser and uh, has no principles that he's standing upon. So let's go here. Uh, we're at number five, guys, if you want to go to uh, this uh, first of the next points. Number four is the issue of arrogance. And we're looking now at chapter 15. Follow along as I read uh, beginning in verse number one. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which... Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, ass. Let's uh, look at here this uh, fifth quality, and what we're looking at is an issue of covetousness in this passage, because God was very clear concerning his judgment against this nation. And you and I, from our perspective, we look at this and say, boy, that is severe. Uh, Why would God ever ask that? Uh, God here was desiring, as only God can, punish nations as he wills. And by the way, nations are punished in this life. Individually, you and I will stand before God in judgment, one by one. But as a nation, God judges nations here and now. And God will raise up one nation as his tool to bring judgment on another nation. And so God is raising up Israel at this time to bring judgment against this wicked nation. And all was going well. God gave them the victory except when it came here to some monetary uh, gain. All right, And let's look at that in the context of a politician. First of all, I want you to see the clarity of the objective. God is, is not mincing words here. Verse 1, 2, and 3 are very clear. Utterly destroy. What does utterly destroy mean? 
And God goes beyond utterly destroy. He just actually names every possible thing that could be and should be destroyed. So God is clear. There's clarity here as far as his objective. And yet we see in verse 8 and 9, notice what Saul does. And the Bible, I'll go verse 8. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive... And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs. And all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly. So clarity in this objective, God said, I'm going to use you as my tool to bring judgment on this nation. The choice, the choice is do I obey God or do I put myself and my desires first? You know, when we pray for our leaders, and we ought to be praying for our leaders, one of the things that we need to be praying for them about is that they would put principle above their own personal interests. And I know that's hard to do because we are humans, but Saul here is failing because he chooses uh, the best of, of this world over obedience to God. His choice was, boy, it'd be a shame to get to all of these uh, fine-looking animals here and, and slaughter them. Uh, we could put them to use. And uh, so the Bible talks about the sheep and the fatlings and the lambs and, and, uh, and the oxen and so forth. And he kept the best uh, and he slaughtered only that which was diseased and that which was of no use. And so we see in this text that Saul is making a choice and that choice is monetary gain or the issue of covetousness. Uh, I'm, I, I get concerned in an election cycle when it seems like uh, that the bottom line, when it's all said and done, is uh, what can this do uh, to increase uh, uh, my own bottom line? And uh, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned here that uh, we have politicians that may have given their whole life to the one bottom line, and that is me and how much can I get. And then all of a sudden, there's supposed to be a switch that's turned on, and now it's going to be all about you. It's been all about me my whole life, but now it's going to be about you. It doesn't happen quite that way. It's, it's all about how I can get ahead, how I can have, how I can get more, and then all of a sudden you flip a switch, switch and it's, no, it's not about me anymore. It's all about you. Um, there is a temptation, especially in that realm, when it comes to monetary gain to allow covetousness, which the Bible says is an abomination. That's what God says to become the, the, the sole driving force of an individual. And I get very concerned when, uh, when the economy of a nation and uh, all of the inner working, uh, and you put someone in a position where he has now access or she has now access to all of this, and your head starts spinning. 
uh, as to what possibly could take place. Uh, for whose gain? Uh, for the nation's gain or for personal gain? Well, you've got to look at a track record. And you've got to say, up till this point, what's it been all about? And will that uh, all of a sudden change? Saul was all about this monetary gain. Saul, it was about this covetousness of his wanting instead of obedience. So an unworthy politician will sell their integrity for monetary gain. And the issue is uh, covetousness. God says it's an abomination. And it's the last quality that we need in a leader, especially a leader uh, in our own country. So we go on in this very same uh, text, and uh, again, Samuel shows up at always the wrong time, doesn't he? So here we have uh, Saul doing what he wants to do instead of doing what God wants to do. And notice what the word says in verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. See, God is saying right now, Samuel, you're, uh, or, or, or Saul, you're disqualified. You're not the leader that my people need. For a host of reasons, but these are stacking one upon another. Uh, we've already looked here at your pride and, uh, and the reality that you've got to take credit for other people's labor. Uh, your blame shifting when you get caught. Uh, your lack of wisdom in, in, in promoting senseless laws. Your arrogance and stubbornness when it comes to even your own son. Uh, just uh, partaking here of a little bit of food, and that in your mind is worthy of being executed. That's, that's all in Scripture concerning the life of Saul and the thinking of Saul and the lack of common sense and wisdom in Saul's life. And God said, listen, I'm done. I don't want you. You're, you're, you're not what the people need. And so God is the one that's stepping forward here and clarifying the issue in verse number 10. So now we go on, verse uh, number uh, uh, 12. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down uh, to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. Isn't he a spiritual man? You know, he knows just what to say. Uh, I, I, I got a feeling he's trying to run from the prophet, and he's saying, Okay, if I stay here too long, Samuel's going to show up. I better get going. And uh, Samuel chased him down. All right, thank the Lord for some prophets of old that are willing to speak truth, no matter what the consequence. And I tell you, we need some of that today. You know, we, 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 we really do. We need, thus saith the Lord, and just allow God to speak concerning what uh, He is looking for when it comes to leadership. And now the Bible goes on in verse 13. It says, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. All right, let's just stop right there. How, how can you say that with a straight face? And how can you say that to the prophet? I mean, how can you just go, oh, so glad to see you. 
Oh, Samuel, this is, this is just wonderful. And then the first thing out of your mouth is a lie. The first thing that you're saying here is uh, that you have performed the commandment of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. All right, so let's look here at uh, this next uh, point. An unworthy politician is willing to lie in order to cover up the truth. The truth was disobedience. The truth was the king disobeyed a clear, direct command of God. The truth was he had a covetous heart. The truth was that he wanted to do what he wanted to do instead of doing what God wanted him to do. That's the truth. And and so we see he's willing to sell his integrity, but now he's willing to lie in order to cover up. What's the issue? The issue is truthfulness. Uh, The exposure of Saul's lies here in verse number 13 and 14. Notice how Samuel responds, verse 14. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Not very subtle, is it? (laughs) Hey, okay, I did exactly what God wanted me to do. And Samuel says, Now hang on, what do I hear? What's, what's, what's the sheep there? What's, what's the oxen there? What's going on? Samuel here is putting his finger on a, a tremendous need in Saul's life, and that is just owning up and being truthful and not being willing to go to this area of, of lying to cover up your own disobedience. And so there's an exposure of Saul's lies. There's the excuse now that he's going to come back with. This is precious, but it is what it is. Verse 15, and Saul said, they... (laughs) Okay, I think some of this blame shifting is coming back, all right? It's kind of a fallback. But they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Don't you, don't you love when people uh, change definitions? Uh, and they, they, this is what it's supposed to mean, but they change the definition and then say the exact same thing, but they've changed it. And this is exactly what Saul is doing here. Uh, he is making another excuse. He's shifting the blame onto the people. He is being intellectually dishonest. I want to read verse number 21. Uh, I'll read verse 20. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yes, I have obeyed the... I better go back one more verse. Verse 19. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, the prophet says... But didst fly upon the spoil. See, he put his finger right on it, didn't he? The spoil was that monetary gain. It was like that's what what the king saw. That's what lit him up. 
That's what he got all pumped up about. All of this spoil of war. And Samuel says very clearly, uh, but uh, you did not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took up the spoil, sheep and oxen, and chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Being intellectually dishonest here. He's uh, stretching the truth a little bit. He's the one that led his people to pounce on the spoil. And now he's shifting positions. And he's basically saying, you know, really the intent of the people all along was so that they could just sacrifice it to you. Sacrifice it to God. Sacrifice it to your God. That, that was their intent. We did everything that God wanted us to do. So an unworthy politician tonight will sell their integrity for monetary gain. An unworthy politician is willing to lie in order to cover up the truth. And now we see an unworthy politician is unwilling to acknowledge they ever did anything wrong. And this is really the crux of the heart of verse number 20. Saul is having a real hard time just actually saying, I was wrong. Now I tell you what. You know, that quality in your grandkids, I had my grandkids all week long. <laughs> it was a blessing, uh, except they brought their dog. That was not a blessing, all right? Uh, but but it, was, it was wonderful to see some of the grandkids and, and just be able to uh, spend time with them. But if one of my grandkids all the time uh, was uh, not acknowledging the truth for what it is, but spinning it off and sometimes... Little ones can do that. You get annoyed after a while. But you recognize there are only four. There are only six. Uh, but you don't, you don't expect that in grown people, especially those that want to be the leader of the free world. Uh, I'm I, I just going to pivot here and uh, don't pay attention to anything I did say and I'm going to say it a different way and, and I'll say it uh, in such a way that finally you'll receive it as uh, the truth that I wanted to be in that moment. And uh, it's a sad thing when you can't understand where a person actually stands because he stands everywhere. It's sad. It's sad when he has two positions on every issue. That's sad. It's sad when he says the thing that you want to hear, but he also says the thing that someone else wants to hear. It's just sad. And it is a little bit of what we see here in Saul. Uh, this unwillingness to acknowledge that he's ever done anything wrong. Um, I could go on right there, but that is one issue that really as a Christian bothers me. Because when you say you've never had to ask anybody for forgiveness, what you're saying is you've never ever made a mistake in your life. I've got an issue with that. You can't say that you're a sinner and that you've never asked God ever to forgive you of anything. It doesn't work that way. Uh, as sinners, we need God's forgiveness. 
That's what we need. And if you can't bring yourself to say, I'm wrong, that's an issue. I mean, that's an issue. Think about it. In our government, that's an issue. Who's going to get the blame for every decision that's made? Where's the, where's the counselors? Who are you going to listen to? I get concerned when there is uh, a person that they are their own best counselor and that they don't really need to ask God forgiveness for anything. It doesn't seem like Saul here wanted uh, forgiveness. He just wanted to twist the truth a little bit until it was finally acceptable. All right, what do we have here under uh, number seven? Uh, the insistence of Saul that he fully obeyed. That's what you see in verse number 20. He just, he's just adamant. It's a totally different truth because Samuel the prophet already pointed out, I, I hear the sheep, I hear the oxen. It's obvious that you didn't obey. And yet in his mind, he did. In his mind, he did absolutely everything that he said or thought uh, he was supposed to do. So the insistence of Saul that he fully obeyed, the inability of Saul to admit his failure, that's the end of verse number 20 where the scripture uh, tells us, and the, and the Bible says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Four times he's reiterating, I did, I did, I did, I did. Samuel says, you did? I did, I did, I did. It's childish. It's immature. Yes, and that's the king. <laughs> and that's the king here that is insisting that he did not do anything wrong. All right, let's go on to number eight. Number eight. An unworthy politician is unprincipled and will say anything to please the people. Now we're getting into the core of who King Saul is because he's finally exposed. Look at verse 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. See, Samuel just basically, let me go back uh, to verse number 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. All right, if I can see these qualities in a man like Saul and God is the one that's chiming in saying he doesn't qualify, then maybe we ought to say, hey, he doesn't qualify. If God looks at a person and says, hey, these qualities are unbecoming for a leader of, uh, of my people, then maybe we as the people of God ought to step back and say, well, maybe then I don't want to help put him in a place that... Uh, God will have to remove him. And so we see here that it, it, it's really this core value. And uh, I want us to go to verse number 24 because here we see the heart of the king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. What took him so long? He knew all along that he disobeyed. He knew all along that he was wrong and God was right. 
But he just was too stubborn to admit it because he doesn't want to admit, I ever did anything wrong. And now when God says, hey, you're done, buddy. Your, your rule is over. Your reign is over. It's finished. I'm done with you. This is not the leader for my people. Then all of a sudden, uh, he, he sees the light. Um, and, and, and we go on and we read here, and thy words, because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. All right, let's look at this. An unworthy politician is unprincipled and will say anything to please the people. That's all he was doing. He's a people pleaser. He's just putting the finger up in the air and saying, which way is the wind blowing? All right, that's what the people want. Listen, we need... I, you, you folks have been here for several years. Some of you are newer, but I am just a constitutional conservative. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I, I'm thankful for the country that God has blessed us with. I believe that God's hand was all over the forming of this country. I, I, I believe that we can go back and unlike our current president saying that we are not a Christian nation, he's wrong. We are a Christian nation. We have been founded on biblical truth and reality. We've just drifted a long way from where we used to be, that's all. We've just, we've just drifted. And, and the need is not to keep drifting, but how about to come back to where really we should be? That ought to be the prayer. That ought to be the heart's desire. And yet we see here with Saul that he had uh, really some issues with his core values. Uh, there's an ever-changing story. I didn't do it. I, 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 I did everything. I did everything. I did everything. I sinned. An ever-changing story in the absence of any core value because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I, I just, I just I'm, I'm all about what really the, the, the people are telling me to do and I'm going to do that. I tell you, it'd be refreshing just to have a leader once again in our country that would say, listen, I stand for something and here's what I stand for. And I won't be moved. And, and, uh, and, and these are core principles that are core values for a country to thrive. And uh, I, I, I'm going to stay right here and use my bully pulpit as, as the President of the United States to try to convince the other lawmakers uh, that this is the direction that we ought to be going. And yet, doesn't seem to be the case here with King Saul. And God said, I'm finished. I'm finished. See, the issue here was his honesty. The, the, the issue here uh, was unprincipled in his core. And, and God is allowing us to see uh, King Saul as maybe a help for us even today. Let's go on to number nine. An unworthy politician is more concerned about his legacy than integrity. The issue of integrity. I want you to uh, see, first of all, this rebellion of Saul. It's mentioned in verse number 23, but it's also mentioned in verse number 28. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and has given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. So we see his rebellion. The Bible says here in the passage is like the sin of witchcraft. 
And, uh, and, and the prophet is very clear concerning uh, just God's turning away from, from Saul as the king. The resolve of God here is found in verse number 29 where the scripture says, And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Speaking about God now taking the kingdom away from Saul. So I have the rebellion of Saul, I have the resolve of God, and yet notice the request. He knows that God's going to keep his promise. He knows that when God speaks, that's it. And God's spoken, I'm I'm giving your kingdom to someone else. To your neighbor that is better than you. Listen, that's what elections are all about. It's, It's about finding the better one. It's about looking at their lives. And I realize sometimes, you know, the the choices are not all that great. It's like uh, a bad and really bad. (laughs) And that's a dilemma for Christians, isn't it? I mean, we shake our heads and we go, oh boy, this is not going to be easy. But we do the very best we can in recognizing that the the better character person uh, would do best for uh, our country. And so we're dealing with an integrity here or a lack of integrity. And the, 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 the heartbeat of King Saul is really, it's all about his legacy. Now, notice these words beginning in verse number 30, and it is astounding. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. I don't think he gets it yet. I don't think it's sunk in. But his request is simply this. All right, I did wrong, but honor me anyways. I I, I want the reputation before the people. You come and you worship with me. and, And all the people will think that everything's okay, just like it's always been. And the old prophet has nothing to do with it. He doesn't want to worship with him. He's not going to spend the time with him. Uh, And so uh, uh, we see here um, the the, the sad fate here as he's speaking of just honor me now. So let's go to our last thought this evening. An unworthy politician must be replaced. Verse number 28, And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to thy neighbor of thine, that is better than thee. Here we see, lastly, the removal of the opportunity to serve. And I realize that sometimes uh, it's difficult for us in our own mind to, to, to understand God's sovereignty and raising up people and placing them in power and, and uh, then uh, God taking people and removing them and, and then what's my role as a Christian and what should I be doing I believe the best we can do before God is uh, not get swept up uh, with thoughts uh, that would be unbiblical and just allow the choices that we make in this realm to be filtered through the Scripture, that's all. Just to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. Just to say, Lord, would you just help me to do the very best uh, to glorify you even in this decision that I'm going to make. And I, and I hope it's a prayerful decision. I hope it's something here that you, you love your country enough.
to spend some time praying for it. That you love this country enough to get on your face before God and say, God, would you spare us? Would you spare us? Would, would, would you have mercy? And that's what we need. We need mercy because we are a vile people. We are a vile nation. Uh, we have turned our back on God. We have in every regard turned our back on God and said, God, you're not allowed. You know, there's some of you sitting here that have taught in school a long time, and there was a time that you teachers could have this book on your, on your desk and you could have a daily reading from the Word of God. Those days are long gone. There's rulings that kicked the Bible out of school and that kicked prayer out of school. And it's had its impact on our country. It's impacted what we are now. Because we basically said as a society, we only want God in church. We don't want God in, in, in real life. And boy, when we start going down that road, there is fruit that we bear. And it's not a good fruit. It's a rotten fruit because we've told God we don't need you. We don't need you. And uh, so we see here there's a removal of this opportunity to serve. There's the replacing of one leader with another. Verse number 28, there's thy neighbor. See, God was scouring the land, and God had uh, uh, pinpointed this little shepherd boy that was out there caring for these precious little lambs. A man of character, a man of integrity, uh, a man of honesty, a man whose heart was after God. And God looked down and said, that's the guy I want. That's the kind of God, that's the kind of man that needs to be uh, thrust into the leadership position in, uh, in this nation. And in the society that we live and in the circumstances that we have as American Christians, God allows it to be in our hands concerning who we vote for. So we do have a part of the process. And so we do have to Bring God into the equation and say, God, help me in this important area. So there's the removal of the opportunity to serve, the replacing of one leader with another, verse number 28. And the reason we replace is because he's unworthy. He's unworthy. As uh, you go to the polling places here in June, and you look at all the candidates that are before you, both men and, uh, and uh, women, and you look at these, uh, you need to just uh, say, God, are they worthy? Are they worthy? Are they really worthy of the high calling of being the president in this nation? The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. 